Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com. And use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit, EndoDecoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, EndoAligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, EndoDNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeka soft gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeka Unwind, created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. What's up, everybody? We're going to be talking all about trademarks and the cannabis industry today on a webinar that we have called Cannabis Trademarks 101. Joining us will be Sahil from Drist Law. Let's get into it, and uh, you're going to learn a lot. So stick around, thumbs up, uh, like, subscribe, share this. Uh, if you don't catch it, we'll send you a recording of it. Talk with you soon. Hey, Sahil, thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, a lot of people that signed up, they went over to CannabisIndustryLawyer.com and they uh, filled out a form that they can find there. Uh, and then that's how they were able to get into our email list and uh, eventually uh, come uh, by this. But why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell people about it while I uh, do some stuff behind the stage. Oh, crap. <laughs> Hey everyone, uh, as mentioned, my name is Salam Malotra and I'm an intellectual property attorney at Drishy Law. I want to thank, uh, thank Tom and Collateral Ways for giving me the opportunity to speak to people in the cannabis industry. Uh, now, we're here to talk about trademarks in the cannabis industry. I'm going to start off with the basics of trademark law, our view of trademark process, the legal standards that are applied during the application process, and what to expect when you go through the trademark process. And uh, Sahil, you know, if you guys are out there and you want us to work with you, you can head over to Collateral Base and just fill out this uh, page that we have regarding outside general counsel. There'll be a follow-up email on it. 
and then you can sit down with us on it. You'll get both of us for the price of one, and then we'll talk about the scope of your specific thing. You're going to learn a lot uh, from the presentation, and so uh, I'm going to hit. How do I hit play? So I'm view only. Play. Slideshow. Okay, great. So uh, you ready to take it away? Yeah, let's go. All right. All right, guys. The basics of trademark. You know, trademark must be distinctive in source, which usually pretty much means it enables the consumer to distinguish your goods and services from another. What does that really mean? I mean, I can tell what an Apple product looks like, and I know what a Microsoft product looks like. And if you can do that, that means your logo, your branding, is distinctive or sourced. Um, and we go come into use in commerce. That mark that you're applying for must be used in commerce. The use should be either in use or it can be an intent to use, but you are usually, uh, the, the, the use must be uh, in a sale across commerce channels. The use also must be lawful. We'll talk about, more, uh, talk about that more later. Um, and also the mark shouldn't be functional. This usually applies to trademarks and uh, trade dress protection, which usually includes things like product packaging, product design. Uh, think about canvas pack packaging. Think about uh, the boxes or packages that you get your canvas products in, or even your CD bottles uh, for your topicals or decor for store layouts or building design. Um, Tom, you can uh, press next on the... Yep, just let me know and uh, skip it on ahead. And you skip on ahead. Next slide. Yeah, bird's eye view. We're going to talk about the key terms that uh, you'll probably need to be aware of when you're applying for a trademark. Uh, you need to know what an examining attorney is. Examining attorney is the attorney usually uh, uh, put on your application by the USPTO whenever you apply for a trademark. They're the ones you're going to have full contact with throughout your trademark journey. Uh, office actions. You are more than likely get one of these, maybe even multiple, because you are in the cannabis industry and, and because it is federally still illegal, there's a lot of federal rules that still apply to what kind of mark can or cannot be registered when it's in the cannabis industry. Uh, the, some, of the, uh, some of the legal standards that we'll touch on are the Controlled Substances Act, the, uh, the uh, Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act. Uh, Timeline for a trademark application usually takes anywhere between 10 months to three years. Uh, you know, I think the backlog right now uh, for the USPTO is listed at around about eight to nine months, but I'm pretty sure it's a little bit longer. So let's say you apply for a trademark application today, you're not gonna see someone review your application until 10 months from now. So does that mean like I can apply right now and then put the little R with a circle or the TM next well, to whatever. TM, the TM you can't really put until after. That's the one you get to use after registration. So you cannot use the TM until after registration. Uh, okay. So, so then you, um, if I have to wait this long, what are some of the benefits of uh, uh, the trademark? Well, it's always good to be on the register than to be off the register because that still allows you to put your priority of date Whenever you'll have a conflicting, uh, whenever you'll have an issue with a conflicting mark, or let's say somebody's trying to oppose your mark, uh, more often than not, they'll look at the priority, and the priority is the date of first use. And uh, and the date of first use can be established in your trademark application. 
which can give you priority over another brand that might think that they're infringing, that you're they're infringing or you're infringing on their brand. Uh, some of the most common mistakes, you know, usually in a trademark application are anywhere between wrong or inadequate class protection, uh, spelling mistakes, incurrent specimen, and that applies to, you know, your website. If you're a website, you need to put up your website for, uh, uh, for your application. If you're going to be selling, uh, you know, pre-rolls that are uh, CBD pre-rolls only, you're going to have to put up uh, a specimen, meaning a sale of receipt that can show that you've sold these uh, CBD pre-rolls. Um, and also, we're going to talk more about the unlawful use of commerce later. We can go on the next one. But uh, now let's talk about a little bit of the benefits of trademark registration. Uh, this is the next slide. Uh, you know, basics, uh, basic benefits of trademark registration are the presumption of ownership. Uh, it's easier to settle name disputes. Um, it's uh, the ability that it provides for you to build some level of customer loyalty. It creates a tangible asset that can be licensed, transferred, or signed. And that's really important these days because you'll see brands like Tyson 2.0, you'll see brands like Cookies, who are signing licensing deals uh, with a lot of national, uh, with a lot of statewide distributors, uh, which is allowing them to expand their brand's reach. I don't know, Tom, if you saw that Tyson 2.0 now is in the DC area. I'm pretty sure uh, Tyson 2.0 started in Nevada. Uh huh. No, I have not. Uh, Tyson's and their ear candy. Tyson may have made it to Illinois, but I I can home grow in Illinois, and so <laughs> typically I'm I'm consuming medicine that I've made myself. Uh, yeah. If I wanted to, I could go buy an eighth of medicine for sixty bucks, and maybe I get some Tyson that way, but. I'd have to search it on the internet to see if I can no. even pick some up. That's fair. You know, like the basic benefits are like, you're going to be able to protect yourself against competitors. And you know, like the days of being able to like name your brand, whatever, and maybe make a parody of like something that already exists are kind of over. Because if you notice uh, companies like Mars Wrigley uh, are kind of going after uh, Skittles that used to be produced with cannabis uh, and Cannabis infused uh, Skittles that used to produce uh, Clint Eastwood recently won a lawsuit uh, mm -hmm. uh, for $2 million for a CBD product that was using its name. So the, what the trademark registration provides is for your, the ability to like protect yourself against those situations. Because anytime you go through a trademark registration process, you're going to do a clearance and you're going to do a search and clearance before you apply for that trademark. And that'll allow you to see if you're going to be infringing on anybody else's brand that already exists. And you know, it kind of guarantees customer loyalty if you can bring, build like a reputation uh, with that branding. And uh, like I said, you know, you get to use that cool little federal uh, trademark symbol if you get through registration. And like I said, it's the ability to go to federal court and federal court means big damages if you're able to ever prove that. Next one. So lawful use in commerce. You know, we talk about lawful use in commerce. The Lanham Act states the word commerce means all commerce which may be lawfully regulated by Congress. As we all know, trade, uh, cannabis is still federally illegal. And the US PTO policy currently is to refuse any 
applications whose goods and services violate federal law, more specifically the Controlled Substances Act. Uh, now, what does lawfully using commerce lawfully use in commerce really mean? Truly, it's changed and evolved because the federal enforcement against cannabis has lessened and decreased exponentially over the last decade. With an increasing number of states providing legal use of cannabis, the patchwork of state and federal regulations provided unique opportunities for cannabis-related businesses. Now, you can even look in state trademark application process, which will at least be able to afford you state-level protection for your branding. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Controlled Substances Act as we move forward. Uh, but I want you to be aware of the CSA and the FDCA, which kind of exist uh, and are usually applied during that trademark application process. More specifically, the CSA, you know, brief overview, all manufacturing, distribution and possession with an intent to manufacture and distribute of Schedule 1 controlled substances illegal. You know, we know that. And any drug paraphernalia related to a controlled one substance is illegal. Now, does this mean legal cannabis and hemp companies uh, cannot have uh, registered trademarks? Not really. Cannabis businesses are allowed to have some level of trademark uh, protection. We just have to be transparent through the application process what goods or products or services that we are registering for. Common, the most common Control Substances Act refusals during a trademark application process are when the goods and services uh, description or evidence indicates that the registered goods or services violate the custom, uh, the uh, the CSA. Now, when we when the farm bill passed in 2018, I know the bill defined cannabis, uh, the bill uh, defined hemp as a cannabis sativa and anything that contains less than 0.3% concentration of THC. <clears throat> Which means... So that's when they changed it. So like mm -hmm. this is the first exception to... Mm -hmm. it, it's finally an exception to the controlled substance ban. It yeah. looks like it was a pretty clear ban against... And you have it on your slide, the next one. Common refusals. And yeah, so, common refusals. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, they also like talk, so that kind of means like any cannabis plant and product containing more than 0.3 THC, more than 0.3% THC that falls outside the scope of the bill and subject to CSA. So if your trademark application for a CBD or hemp product is still likely to receive that initial refusal, but it's more like an opportunity for you to amend your description if it doesn't contain the legal and does not contain the legal de chemical definition of hemp. So you have to provide the legal chemical definition of hemp as outlined in the hemp bill. Uh, more than likely, the USPT will also request for additional information regarding your product, so you're not making any health claims regarding it. And more likely, you're also going to re receive what's called an FDCA refusal. Now, the FDCA authorizes the FDA to approve new drugs, uh, you know, certain medical devices, food and color additives, uh, inspect establishments uh, where food, drugs, devices, cosmetics are produced uh, and held. So due to this regulation, all CBD brands come under scrutiny during the USP2 application process. A good rule of th thumb usually is in the body, not good, on the body, good. I say that because as it stands, 
The FDA does not allow hemp CBD in edibles or products that claim to have medicinal or therapeutic properties. The common refusals for CBD or hemp applications uh, usually are uh, whenever the evidence or description uh, of the goods indicate that the hemp CBD is edible or has medicinal properties. So you can't have like a tonic that claims, you know, I'm going to cure your sleep apnea or, you know, I'm going to cure Alzheimer's. You can't say those things. So that's why more often than not, you see things like soothing, you know, a calming effect, you know, will make you feel uh, more relaxed. It, it, it won't necessarily say anything like I'll cure cancer. Uh, but uh, common ways to overcome an FDCA approval or refusal is the goods need to be topical, non-medicinal, and non-therapeutic. And they need to provide, and you need to provide the legal chemical definition of hemp in the description. You go to the next one. Like, I just want to kind of point out some of these, you know, like examples of trademark applications that trademarks that already exist, brands that already exist, like dog walkers. It's very pretty common, uh, pretty common uh, product that exists in the Illinois market, at least. And I think it just made it to DC area and Virginia as well, actually. Um, uh, but as you can see, there, go ahead. Yeah, it says August 12, 2020. So yeah. everybody was worried about um, coronavirus. Green Thumb Industries was getting a trademark on their dog walkers brand for hemp. It says pre-rolled cigarettes containing industrial hemp. So you can see that class 34 pre-rolled cigarettes containing industrial hemp. And they have the exact definition, as we mentioned earlier, where they're claiming it's less than the THC concentration is not more than 0.3 percentage. First use, date of application. It's a live application. It's been sitting there since 2020 but they have some level of protection with that. Now you know, look at Cresco Labs, which is another major industry in, uh, in Illinois. And you see all the different uh, classes they register themselves for. Class 41, they probably have a blog which mentions nothing about their actual sale of cannabis products. And uh, that's why it says educational services, namely providing lectures and seminars in the field of cannabis applied for in 2019 and registered in June, 2020. And the last example I kind of want to show are the dispensaries that exist already in the, uh, in the Illinois market. Sunnyside and New Era. Sunnyside has a registration also for a blog, I'm pretty sure. But uh, in this scenario, they have registration for t-shirts, hoodies, hats. I'm pretty sure they also have a registration for uh, glass bottles. Um, and then uh, newer as well, uh, they're kind of going in talking about their topical products. So they probably have some CBD based topical products that they sell and they're clearly claiming that it doesn't have more than 0.3% of THC and it doesn't have any medicinal, uh, medicinal properties. And they're able to get these registrations because they're not claiming any medicinal properties. You know, common classes that are used in the cannabis or CBD-based applications are a class three, which is cosmetic goods. That's where you'll see a lot of the topicals, creams, lotions, uh, class five. You'll see a lot for supplements. As we know, uh, you see a lot of like uh, topicals, tinctures that are sold. Beverages, we see, uh, I mean, I'm seeing CBD soda now. I'm seeing CBD sparkling water, CBD coffee, you know, CBD cold brew. Um, 
I thought we were drinking coffee to kind of like amp ourselves up. CBD is kind of like counteracting that, I feel like maybe. Uh, but uh, but yeah, 35 for retail store, 42 as for, you know, research purposes, if you want to register yourself in that, if you're in that industry. And last one for medical and therapeutic services. Maybe you have a massage parlor. Maybe you have, um, you know, a, um, a uh, therapy, like you're an actual therapist who uses uh, CBD products in their uh, therapy sessions. These are classes that you can kind of create that brand recognition in. Now, like, uh, now the main takeaways I kind of want to get at, we want everybody to have from this uh, are like the goods and services description are kind of make or break your application. You can't lie, you know, do not lie. USB2 as Google too, you know. <laughs> if you say something and, and you show a label uh, placed on a CBD uh, product where it claims certain medicinal properties, but in your application you say it does not have any medicinal properties, they'll find that. And then they'll you'll get a refusal and you won't be able to overcome that refusal until you fix that. Or maybe the USPTO won't even move forward with your application. Now, ancillary goods and services, like I said, your friends, as you saw, uh, places like Sunnyside, places like New Era, you know, even uh, dog walkers. I don't know how many people are uh, utilizing their CBD uh, pre-rolls, but they have registration for CBD pre-rolls. What this allows people to do is just by being registered in the ancillary goods, you're able to enforce your branding against anybody who might be infringing on that on your branding. Even if they are, even if they try to claim that, hey, these guys sell cannabis products, but we're not talking about the cannabis products. You're infringing on a mark that is put on non-cannabis products that can be, uh, cannabis products that can be registered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, my question on that was going to be, can you do various, can you stack them? So can you have like 35, 44? Absolutely. And I was looking back and it kind of looks like they are here. Yeah. You, know, you see Sunnyside and you see 3, 22, 41. Is that what these codes are up there? These yeah. Services codes? That's exactly what those are. Those are the those are the classes you're going to register in. A basic trademark pro application process, you know, it's 250 per class or 350 per class. The main difference, is, this is the USPTO filing fees. The main difference usually is that in 250 per class, USPTO kind of already has a pre, you know, like a pre-prepared template that you just fill in the blanks. It works for most people. Or you do the 350 per class application where you custom write the description of your goods and services. Um, that's and, and and you make that decision from the beginning. How many classes do you want to register in the beginning? You can start with just one and eventually file new applications for the other classes you want to go into. But more often than not, if companies already have certain products that they're going to sell under those brandings, uh, they're going to start registering those. The sunny side, uh, I actually, um, I think uh, a few weeks ago uh, when I was in Chicago, I saw Sunnyside is now uh, selling more than just, you know, bottles. They're selling all these kind of like little uh, trinkets and accoutrements that like might be decor, might be koozies, anything that they can put their branding on. It's not necessarily about even even about the product at that point anymore. It's more about just getting that name recognition out there. It's to establish yourself as kind of like a brand in that market. 
And that's what Sunnyside is kind of doing. They're kind of trying to just aggressively just put their name and logo out there so people see it and people just, as soon as they come to Chicago, it resonates with them that, hey, Sunnyside is like one of the major dispensaries here. Hmm. Awesome. Well, let's uh, sum up some stuff that, and then we'll talk about some more things. Yeah, if uh, anybody has any questions in the future uh, regarding cannabis trademarks, you know, um, they can click on that. Uh, we can, I don't know, Tom, can we make uh, the slideshow uh, or maybe the link available to people uh, if they want to learn more about uh, cannabis trademarks? Yeah, yeah, we can give them a link to the materials uh, mm-hmm. in a follow-up email. Yeah. Um, but not only that, you know, uh, we can take questions there are about 15 people watching so that if they have any questions you just ask them and they should come through uh we're just doing this on our youtube channel for right now um if you haven't liked it you probably already have and you've subscribed so that's great and then we'll do a follow-up so that this is uh complete and ready to go for on demand but before that i did want to talk Let's do a a deep discussion into office actions. What does an office action mean for your trademark application? And what are the next steps? Uh, Once, because like some of our clients, they may apply. Yeah. And then wait that nine months. They might have picked numerous uh, various classes. And so they've paid more than one filing fee. And they're really trying to put a brand out there. Bang, they get an office action. What do we do? Let's say you filled out a perfect, perfect application, you know, let's say the product uh, that you are applying for is a hemp product and use the legal uh, definition for the hemp product and your hemp product contains CBD. As long as that and if let's say that hemp product is also, you know, meant to be uh, uh, meant to be consumed as food or beverage more than likely you're going to get an office action an office action basically is just an examining attorney looking at your application they're going to run your name logo slogan whatever you're trying to apply to protect through their database and through an outside database where they'll compare any other mark that exists that might conflict with this mark not only conflict in name sound connotation appearance but also maybe has is in the same industry, same goods, same products, same services maybe they're providing. That's a big no. More often now that's called a 2D refusal, likelihood of confusion. Uh, and to overcome that, you have to argue against how your mark is not similar or how your mark is dissimilar from the conflicting mark. So that uh, is a 2D confusion. And so like now you're starting to sound almost like litigation. Is an office action uh, litigation where you have like a plaintiff and a defendant, but then it would be like an applicant and then the government? So no, you're just at this point you're just back and forth with the uh, with the examining attorney. You're gonna there's gonna be multiple opportunities for you to um, for you to resolve this office action, but more often than not you're you're required to address the specific issues in each office action. It's still not in litigation process yet because you still have an opportunity to, you know, overcome that refusal. So let's say we have a hemp product, a hemp-based product with the proper CBD definition. We're going to get the initial refusal, but more than more than likely the examining attorney is just going to ask us for uh, 
you know, additional information where we clarify that we're not say, stating any medicinal therapeutic product, yeah. and we just overcome that refusal. Uh, let's I would like they, to see that on this one because I have never ever seen a dog walker that wasn't sold in a dispensary. I've never seen the hemp version of dog walkers. Yeah. I have seen a lot of hemp when it comes to cookies, uh, like you know, Burner's company yeah. cookies, and it makes me think that. Yeah, sure. Burner's probably is taking all the cookie stuff that he can and, and trademarking it all into the hemp. But um, and, and stuff. I would also imagine I would also imagine dog walkers is probably placing their CBD or hemp only CBD only uh, pre rolls and probably CBD only stores because it kind of for them maybe on a supply chain basis doesn't make sense to put it in their dispensary. Maybe there's already other CBD products at the dispensary that do pretty well, or like the type of CBD products that people are looking for at a dispensary. I don't know how many people are going to dispensary to look for CBD products unless they're edibles or even tinctures. And mm. since Dog Walkers exclusively deals in pre-rolls, I imagine they probably place their products in the CBD-only store or more CBD-heavy kind of like spaces. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And so this office action, now you've gotten that and it said, maybe it's just confused and you follow up with them and they let you go. What yeah. else can, I, let's walk through the lifespan of an office yeah. action. What so else could say, go wrong in an office let's action? Let's say you overcome that office action. You know, you get to, uh, you get to the point of where everything is clear. The USPTO says you're good to go. We're going to publish you uh, in the official trademark gazette. Now, what that means is you're going to be published for opposition. Anybody who wants to oppose against your mark's final registration has 30 days from the day of your mark being registered in the official gazette to oppose your registration. Now, that's just called that's usually just called an opposition proceeding, uh, and they can put up many claims. This is where they can also claim there's a likelihood of confusion. Maybe they claim you're trying to get this mark through fraud. Maybe they're saying that your mark is too descriptive. It is generic. Uh, and those are two standards uh, where you're not afforded trademark, uh, trademark uh, protection. Uh, so that's kind of a scenario you're probably looking at. And in that scenario, let's say you get an opposition proceedings, that's where we get into litigation. That's where we go okay. to TAB, which is the Trademark Trial and Appeals Board, where you kind of, you know, do the same, the similar process of what would be federal litigation, just cheaper and a little more fast paced. You're working with admin courts in that scenario. So you have an office action that doesn't go your well, uh, your way. And then what did you call it? The next one? The, oh, the, the, the office action goes my way. We're good. We're about to be, we're about to be, we're getting published in the official gazette and there's a note, there's an opposition period for 30 days. Okay. That's where if somebody opposes us, then we start opposition proceedings at the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board. Opposition um, proceedings, can they be brought by the USPTO or does it have to be somebody no, else? Not by the USPTO, it's usually a third, it's a third party. That okay. is, you, that is probably, so more often not when I have clients, they uh, and they have like registered marks. Uh, they want to do monitoring of what services as well, which kind of means that I kind of on top of Google Alerts, I use certain other third-party vendors, which allow which allow me to monitor uh, people's brands and see if there's anything out there that might be conflicting or possibly infringing on my client's brand. This is the same thing anybody else would do. 
somebody else, maybe you're someone out there, maybe Sunnyside is out there. They probably have a monitoring and a watch service employed by a trademark law firm where they're looking for anybody who is trying to apply for marks that might be similar to theirs. And they're, as soon as they see something like that, they will be filing for an opposition proceeding to try to oppose this mark from being registered. That's kind and of- It really is like litigation. It's two yeah. parties. It's not the government saying that you've done no. something wrong. So it's not like and, a prosecution. Yeah, it's the third party at that point. And, 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 that, and when you get to the TTAB, when you get into opposition proceedings, yeah, you're definitely in that point in litigation. It's cheaper than going to federal court for, uh, for a trademark infringement, but still. It's litigation. It's just a little bit faster, and the courts usually use a standard which is a little bit narrower than the federal circuit. Okay, and so that's uh, an office action that may be turning into an opposition. What do they call the opposition terminology again? Opposition proceeding. Yeah, yeah. that's a fancy way, a very government way of saying kind of like litigation. Opposition. Absolutely. And right. As soon as we're done with opposition, let's say you get registered. You know. And maybe somebody didn't catch that opposition. Uh, within a for a certain period of time, someone is still allowed to bring a cancellation proceeding against your mark. It's similar to the opposition proceeding, but there are different standards that are applied in the cancellation proceeding versus the opposition proceeding. It's the same thing. It goes through the TTAB. Uh, where, uh, again, the standards are a little bit narrower, the process is a little bit faster, and it's comparatively cheaper than to go into federal court. Same thing, a third party maybe missed the opposition period and now wants to come for cancellation. It's a little harder standard to get through, but it's still another opportunity for a third party to bring that case. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, we do have a question, and then I wanted to wrap up with, um, you know, generic what categories of trademarks there are. But uh, Salvador is asking, are you saying a CBD product, for example, the dog walkers that we saw earlier, they're able to get a trademark, and then can they use that same dog walker name in their THC products? Yes, absolutely. But they don't. Have, so they have protection over the name and logo dog uh, dog walkers but they only have protection for the CBD products, but they can use that dog walker name. They just can't use that federal registration symbol on their cannabis products. Hmm. Fascinating. Federal registration symbol on their CBD products. Well, that's really interesting. All right. Um, before we wrap up, why don't we discuss the four basic categories of trademarks that are out there that are available for any brand, including in the cannabis industry, uh, that they can do. So which types of uh, categories of trademarks are there? So uh, uh, are we talking about the types of uh, trademarks as in... Uh, Suggestive, descriptive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're, so there's obviously generic, you know, there's, it's called a spectrum. Uh, it's called a spectrum of distinctiveness. And we're starting from generic. Anything that is, you know, let's say lip balm, frosty treats, you know, marks that are considered common part of everyday life, they're not protectable. Well, let's they're talk generic. About, yeah. They, they're they generic. don't have any. Yeah. Yeah. So they're at the one end of the spectrum, just like, yeah, we and, know what those are. Yeah. Descriptive, you know, descriptive would be like honey roasted peanuts, you know, marks that really mm -hmm. describe the goods and our services. So like, uh, if you're just like trying to get a trademark about 
cannabis delivery guy. That's descriptive. Still kind of lower end on the spectrum and probably doesn't get you protection. But if you have acquired distinctiveness, acquired meaning through evidence that you can show that you are known as the cannabis delivery guy, then maybe you can get that trademark register. Like he could be NJ Weedman, for yes. example. There's a Edward Fortune. And so yeah. the if he if people are calling him NJ Weedman or the king yeah. of pop, you know, people are calling Michael Jackson that. So yeah. generic uh trademark category, no protection. You know, that yeah. would be like pretzels. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no. but then like zesty pretzels. Eh. But now when you get into this descriptive, yeah, there is a line in the sand where descriptive may become protective. Yeah, you gotta show a little bit of evidence. You gotta show how is it that honey roasted peanuts, you know, let's say for that example, you know, has that acquired distinctiveness that as soon as you hear honey roasted peanuts, you only think of a certain type of honey roasted peanuts. Uh, you know, the next thing on the spectrum you come to is like suggestive. Uh, marks that kind of like suggest but not describe and like you know kind of let the consumers like imagination are involved right. and make the dots like you know Airbus, Greyhound, Netflix you know kind of Netflix mean internet and flicks on the internet you know so, right. uh, so you kind of get an idea of what it is uh, but you have to take a few steps to get there that's usually what's suggestive and that's that's a very good area to be in suggestive and arbitrary you know so suggestive Arb we're mm -hmm. in oh, let's like make sure before we get to arbitrary or fanciful let's encapsulate the suggestive trademark style now we really are in a solid footing of protectability mm -hmm. uh, like taco tuesday for example yeah. remember lebron james trying yeah. to do that I don't think that was going to work. No. But now with suggestive, you know, for example, mm -hmm. Jaguar or like Apple computers. Or like the Ohio State, you know. Now, mm -hmm. Ohio State got the trademark. <laughs> I still have some gripe against that. But, you know, they showed through evidence, years and years of evidence that the, when associated with the Ohio State, is something that resonates with. So yeah, that's right. Suggestive, we're getting into the more stronger ground of like, okay, this is creative enough that you're not exactly telling me what it is, but I can get to what it might be. And then we get to arbitrary, where it's like, you know, you're taking you're taking one word which means one thing and you're using it for something completely different. Like Tom, you just said Apple. You know, Apple, Apple computers, yeah. Apple computers, you know, uh, and then Windows, you know, Microsoft <laughs> Windows. So like Windows usually wouldn't be what you think, but because it's something that has an ordinary definition but has no relationship to the, you know, goods or services that are being offered, that's where we get into arbitrary. Now you're even stronger ground, you know, on the so like Kodak, for example, it's a grizzly bear, but it was film. You yeah. know, uh, or or Xerox. It's 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 a machine, but then yeah. it came Kodak, to be known as photocopies. Kodak and Xerox kind of even fall into a fanciful kind of like you know coin terminology. They're even stronger. You know, they're kind of arbitrary area, but they're because they're even made up words. You know, so yeah. like because like, that, they're even stronger than that. 
So Coinbase is a popular, uh, you know, crypto trading platform. I'd say that's more suggestive because it's the base for coins as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Same with QuickBooks because they're books that you do quickly. Quickly. But then Intuit computers. I I think now we're getting to arbitrary fanciful. Arbitrary or fanciful. You know, like a good mark is not generic or descriptive. Right. Like it needs to be a healthy balance of creativity and maybe you need to like help help your consumer make that jump. So like whenever the consumer thinks about it, like they immediately associate with something very unique that you're providing. Uh, You know, that can be people can try way too hard to try to come up with like new names or logos at times. Yeah. The pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, do always look at the pharmaceutical industry for examples of trying way too hard. So watch your evening news tonight. If you want to get uh, a little refresher as to the different categories of trademarks, and mm-hmm. you'll see like Ketruda or Lavitra or or something of Baduda. I mean, they always a Cologuard. That one actually is more suggestive, but um, they're usually creating names mm-hmm. for a drug. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're usually creating names for a drug, and it's always going to sound crazy because they're trying to they're trying to create something that's going to be immediately arbitrary or fanciful enough that it's a product that they can market within the medical industry. You know, that's uh, that's a like I said, like you you can either try too hard, but there's definitely you know a lot of like cool brands out. Like Dog Walkers is a pretty it's pretty good branding it's damn good i'd say that it's it's right it's 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 not descriptive it's suggestive like it's in because it's a little joint and so it's a a third of a gram or something yeah yeah that you take on when you're walking your dog and they're kind of like through that packing packaging they're telling a story about what their brand is so you know there's so many ways where and that packaging is protected you know that that it's a trade dress that's something cannabis businesses can think about moving forward is unique packaging, which kind of tell a story and resonates with consumers. That is something that you can create and protect at the same time. Yes. And then if they need any help with that, how do they get in touch with you, Sahil? Oh, if they need any uh, help with that, you can uh, scan that QR code over there, or you can reach out to Tom, or you can reach out to me at 773-270-9055 or sahil at drishtilaw.com. But uh, yeah, feel free to reach out if you have any questions uh, regarding whatever we talked about today, or if you have any questions about uh, future trademark applications, uh, reach out to Tom as well. He and I work on a lot of... uh, Uh, cannabis related businesses um yeah you can check out right you can you can go right to collateralbase.com and check out and we will get notice and then uh you'll you'll you have access to my calendar and -hmm. then we'll just call sahil be like hey is this good day good for you and then we'll start talking with you about your uh trademarks because like you've seen there's there you could do some strategy and some planning before you even do the search Absolutely. There's a whole lot involved before you even apply. Uh, and, you know, like I always recommend everybody thinks their name and logo is unique. And I'm sure it is. But it's always a good idea because because the market is so diluted. It's always a good idea to run a quick search and clearance for every name logo that you might be running for a tra- that you might be using for a trademark application because you think that name's not been used before. 
but there might be someone out there that's similar enough that might cause you an issue. So it's always good to do that pre-search and clearance uh, because it kind of helps you get an idea of what the landscape is that you're walking into. Awesome. Well, hey, man, I really do appreciate you coming by and discussing not just trademarks and cannabis, but then also we discussed in depth office actions. And we also discussed in depth the, the different categories of the trademarks and how they apply in various things. And so hopefully you guys enjoyed this month's webinar. Next month, we'll be back with another one. And if you got a couple more minutes, why don't we take a few more questions before we uh, adjourn and tell everybody to go to collateralbase.com. And of course, uh, just just you, you just retain us. You become a client that quick and then you're able to check out. But uh, let's first go to the, the questions. And so Eric is asking, does this make it difficult or impossible to defend a trademark infringement if someone else uses your marks on THC products only? Uh, could you repeat that real quick? Sorry, my camera's having a little bit of issue. Uh, and so Eric asks, well, what if I'm going to rip you off by just making like, like if some other brand wants to rip off dog walkers and yeah. have a competing brand of cannabis, THC cannabis, that is not trademarkable and put it out on the shelf right next to it. How does uh, uh, Green Thumb Industries protect their brand in that case? So they can still, uh, you, uh, so you can still defend a trademark infringement if someone is using it on THC products only. Uh, because, uh, because if, uh, I think one of the examples is like, uh, the Skittles that was using, that was, uh, producing CBD or cannabis infused Skittles. And I believe Mars Wrigley just wanted judgment against them, uh, for, uh, uh, for like, I can't remember how, what the amount was. Well, Skittles, I mean, they got injunctive relief for certain. I know that they had to stop yeah. using it. Uh, even though they spelled it with Z's and stuff. Yeah, it doesn't matter. People still know what Skittles is, and because it's a it's a brand, uh, because it's a brand that already nationally exists, you know, they don't want to be associated with that product unless they actually eventually, when it becomes big business and federally legalized, I'm sure at that point, Mars Wrigley would be more than happy to jump into the edibles industry. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, Robert Brown asks. Can THC-infused honey be trademarked? No. THC-infused honey if cannot be trademarked. It's 0.3% or less. So if it, if it is CBD-infused honey, which is less than 0.3% of THC, hemp, you know, yeah. if it is hemp. But if it is cannabis-based THC, then it's illegal uh, and you cannot overcome any refusals. All right. Well, hey. Again, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Uh, consider becoming a member of the channel and then, of course, tune in to more episodes of Cannabis Legalization News. And, and if you have any questions about what next month's webinar should be, uh, leave it in the comments, you know, because we're always looking to do one webinar uh, a month that's relevant to uh, entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Crouching a bracket.